morning, everyone. Good to see you guys. Good to see you all. It's good to be back. Hated to leave Jamaica, but I couldn't wait to get back to see all of you, that's for sure. So hey, he, he said, men's night, I just want to put a little blurb in there because even online guys, thank you. I want to greet you. Comment down below. Let us know you're here. Thankful for our online community. But it's, it's actually a men's conference, and it's going to be right here June 17th, and so we're going to kick off at five outdoor events. Inside starts at seven. We're going to have a lot of awesome things to offer everybody, and so I just want to put it out like that. But I, I want to tell you, go ahead and get signed up for that. Don't wait because thinking, oh, you know what, I'm going to do it later or whatever your thoughts are because there's nine other churches that are joining us, and so it's going to be filled up quick. So just saying, and, no, and we don't want to let anybody to miss out. So uh, it, it's $30 per ticket, but if you're saying, well, man, I just can't afford that, someone has already said, I will sponsor anybody who says they can't afford it. So you have no excuses. Ladies, elbow your men. Hey, need you to be there. Kind of get turned up at, the, at church. <laughs> and so I want to remind you about first, first Wednesday as well. Uh, it's going to be a family night. It's family night. Got some announcements to make. We're just going to have a great time uh, out on the lawn and have some really awesome food as we normally do. Uh, we're going to take a break on first Wednesday in July, and there's a reason, but we're going to bring it back and revised in August, and it's going to be uh, something much more uh, deliberate for, for our GO team and those who are, who are really... Uh, Loving what God is doing right here. Let me just say that. I'm just trying to build up. Come, so come first Wednesday. Th that's this Wednesday, by the way. Uh, I, you know, we had a, a rough week. My wife leaned in. She said, man, that protector song, it just speaks so loudly to everything that has gone on this week. And, and Uvalde, Texas, is such a horrific event. You know, having little kids myself, I just kind of think through, what if that were to happen? I, I'm like, oh, man, that'd be horrible. Couldn't imagine. Couldn't imagine... The families who are going through their first Sunday with so much loss and hurt and pain and, and struggle. And so uh, we do want to remember them in prayer as well. And, and there's actually going to be uh, an overnight prayer in July 22nd and 23rd for everything that's going on in our nation. But uh, I, I do, do want to say what this is being used for is not, is not going to be the, the solution. But what is going to be the solution is the church stepping up and being a forward-moving entity that we're called to be. We'll leave that with you. But then Memorial Day, too, uh, we want to remember all those who have actually fought the battle and gone before us so that we can do this. This isn't, this isn't free everywhere. Uh, and sometimes you say, well, freedom's not free. And it's really not. Like, you gotta, you gotta, there's a cost that comes with it. And there is, no matter if it's spiritual or in, in our, our real world living or outside world living, whatever it is, it does have a cost to it. And so others, for us to be able to do this, have paid the cost. And, and then I want to open it up even more so, it, not, to, not to disgrace soldiers, but then there's also spiritual leaders and soldiers who have gone on before us, generals in the faith who have made the way for us to even be where we're at as well spiritually. And so... Uh, if you've ever been to Arlington Cemetery, anybody ever been? It is shocking. It's breathtaking. It is overwhelming when you see the knolls of crosses, and it, you, it really makes you sit there and think and really start to appreciate what has taken place in the generations for us to be able to do this and to have the country that we actually have. And so let's just pray for all, all who have gone before us, can we? So, Father, we just thank you so much for the opportunities that we get to have. They're not, they're not owed to us. 
They're a gift. And thank you for the gifts that come from heaven. And your word says that all good things come from heaven. Thank you for the, 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 the will and the strength that you put in men and women to be able to afford us what we're able to experience even right now. Father, we pray that it never be taken away, that their, their blood not be shed in vain. And we pray that your hand and your will truly infiltrate the decisions of all people groups in America. And Lord, we pray for the families in Uvalde who have lost, lost loved ones and, and are grieving even right now and, and who are suffering from the grievances already. Father, we pray that you bring a spiritual encounter to them through people that they love and they trust, through your Holy Spirit. Lord, that, that you help them to grieve in a healthy manner, to process through this so there doesn't become hyper-grieving. And giving room for the enemy to speak lies into their lives. But Lord, let, let it be that this is a moment where there's a tidal wave and a ripple effect of lives being changed from Uvalde outward. And Father, we just pray for an intersection. We intercede right now for an intersection for these families to come into a deep relationship with you. And we pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Can I get a good amen? Amen. Well, so we're in our series, All Things New. Because Jesus had this way of, of making, just taking things and taking life. And, and we thought, well, this should be this way and it should be this way. No, this way. And, and all the philosophies. And he just says, you know what, let me give you a new way. And he just challenged all of our thoughts and all the things that we, we struggle with. We could sit here and we have a hundred different people in here. And we have a hundred different thoughts on how life should be. But then Jesus says, no, let me give you, let me give you something new. And so through these nine Beatitudes that we're talking about, we're discussing the newness that God came to bring that trans, transitions and, and, it, and it comes through from generation to generation. And yet these are principles that are old, yet they're still as relevant today as they were when Jesus stood on the, the Mount of Beatitudes and just outside of Capernaum on the, the, the Lake Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee, also named called. And so he sits there and he's telling these truths and we're, we're in week four, by the way, and Joey Joey Ridgel, he brought, it, brought the house down last week, and you know, Joey is so deliberate in his speaking. He's, he's so concise. He's so intentional on what he's going to say. I love it. I love it. I love the, the dynamics that we have, we're able to have in this church. And so uh, we're talking about Matthew 5, 6. It's blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled Blessed is a, from the, word, the Greek word makarios, and it's like this inner joy, this deep inner joy. It's like where we get the word happy even. It, it, it describes what true biblical happiness looks like, and it's, it's this innate thing, this inside thing that Jesus, only Jesus can give us that the world can't understand, and sadly, much of the church doesn't even care to receive. Righteousness, which we'll define at the end of this message, it, but there's a hunger. There's a hunger and thirst that is internally deep as if you, you'd been fasting for 40 days. He's talking about that kind of hunger, who hunger and thirst. Like, I'm shriveled up. I just want something to eat. I'm starving. And, and, and it's even deeper than that. When we hunger and thirst for his righteousness... There's the promise that he has. And I want to focus on the word filled. 
He will fill you. Yes, Jesus tells us about this Holy Spirit that would come, that, that would fill us, and the Holy Spirit helps guide us and leads us into all truth. But he, he wants to fill us. Jesus wants to fill us, meaning he wants to be our complete satisfaction in life. So let me give you a couple of different uh, verses, the translation of, the, of this verse, Matthew 5, 6, in the, the Living Bible. Happy. Notice that it said, has, says happy, translated happy are those who long to be just and good, for they shall be completely satisfied. And I'm just so satisfied right now. Matthew 5, 6 in the NCV, those who want to do right more than anything else are happy because God will fully satisfy them. Isn't that great? I want to dedicate this to those who are here and online who are feeling a little bit unsatisfied. Like life is, I feel a little bit unfulfilled in the things that I'm doing, the things I'm exploring, the the life and the design, the lifestyle I'm living. It's as, as if you've gone to the refrigerator, somebody can resonate with this, go into the refrigerator and you see all this stuff and you're still like, man, nothing looks good. Like I'm unsatisfied. It's like you go, you go to a cheesecake factory who have a scroll of a menu and you're looking at all these things that have got to be delicious and you're, in your mind you know they are, but something inside of you is like, man, I just don't know. Nothing feels like it'll satisfy me. I'm overwhelmed with it. It's not, it's, I'm utterly unsatisfied. That's my life right now. But you remember this, uh, you remember the U2 group, U2? It's like this, this innate thing. If you have an iPhone, for, they have, I'm not sure if it's every, but they put this album on there. And so every time, if you have no other albums, all of a sudden, their album comes on and starts playing a, across your car, or whatever, your, auto, your Apple Play or whatever it is. But they had this old song, and, it, and the lyrics said, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Everybody knows it, right? Like it's innate inside of you. Like I feel that way sometimes. If I were going to say there's a subtitle to this message, it would be, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. But there, ha- there is an answer for this. And, but that's where many are right now. I want to give you a little data for, for kind of a challenge you to let you know kind of where our world is. Because sometimes we get, we get blind eyes to what's really going on around us. And so uh, I don't know if you've heard of Barna Group. They're really big on polls and surveys and, and things along those, that nature to see where we are as a nation in many different genres. But a cultural research center, I'm going to read this, at Arizona Christian University, under the direction of George Barna, conducted a national survey that found that only 6% of American adults have a biblical worldview. What that means is, this is pastoral, this is church leaders included, when things get tense and it gets tough and culture, cultural challenges start to come to the surface like they have over the last two and three years, then all of a sudden our worldview, our perspective on, perspective on how we make decisions shifts from our biblical principles over to what we think would be most appeasing for culture. Rather than staying firm and kind and love and mercy and truth and grace and saying, you know what, this is what God's word says, this is how it's supposed to operate, this is the only thing that's going to make all things new, in the culture of life. 6% will stand over there while the other 94%. It's like, you know what? Let's just be inclusive. It's just better to just, let's just change the word of God so that we can include everybody and it'll be one big happy family, right? Wrong. Wrong. And so the first, the first of these concluded that America's dominant worldview is syncretism. I want you to remember this later. Syncretism, which is, isn't actually a worldview at all, but rather a desperate, irreconcilable collection of beliefs that people paste together to suit themselves and let me tell you that's causing trauma 
I like this part, I like this part, I like this part, don't like that, I'm not going to believe that. I like this, this feels good for me, I'll adjust to this and this will be great and I'm going to make my truth. Number two is this, the second survey concluded that America's most popular worldview is what can be called the moralistic therapeutic deism. Components of this worldview include a belief in a God who remains distant from people's lives and the universal purpose of life of being happy and feeling good about oneself. You know what? If it doesn't make me happy or make me feel good, I shouldn't believe it, think about it, worry about it, or even live by it because it's all about me. Yes, there's a God, and he's way away, and I don't want to hear him because he may challenge what makes me feel good about me. Anybody there? Number three, third survey found that millennials are substantially more likely than previous American generations to reject biblical principles in favor of a more worldly, spiritually, spiritual perspective and practices. When brought unto God, that, that, that can actually work out to be great things because we'll see the power of God move. Because this is a generation that just wants to see the power of God in action. However... They need to see how the principles and the character and the word and the truth actually applies to be able to bring about these things that they've been raised upon. So we grab a hold of that. It can be a powerful move for the church. But if we don't, we discredit and discount it, then it's just going to be another shift away from biblical principles into more cultural and theatrical spirituality. Look at this, as Barna, as Barna noted, frankly, the culture is impacting the Christian church and the Christian faith more than the Christian church or church or Christian faith are impacting the culture. Isn't that sad? Notably increasing belief in reincarnation, declining belief in the literal hell, and the pervading belief that people are basically good are other indicators that Christianity is losing influence in America. It's sad. It's sad because we've been so complacent. We've lived in that, let's just sit in my pew, I'm going to come to church, I'm going to check the box, I did my Sunday duty, I'm out. So we, we all end up going and looking somewhere. This is why we still haven't found what we're looking for, right? This is why you too speak so loudly to us, because we're living this life. So we all go somewhere looking for something, hoping that that something will actually satisfy, satisfy what's inside of us. However, we still end up not being satisfied. And while God is offering up a meal at the table, he's saying, hey, I prepared a meal for you at the table. Would you like to come on in? There's a meal that will forever be satisfying. It will forever be fulfilling. But sadly, many Christians desire to be spoon-fed. I'll sit there if you'll feed me. But if I got to work for it, I'll go find something else. Culture has created a self-pleasing approach that is counterculture to what satisfaction at God's dinner table actually looks like. We'll give you a story about this guy. His name was Solomon. He was the son of King David. He was a king of Israel. He was the wealthiest of his day. He was uh, one of the wisest to ever live probably the wisest to ever live, and wrote many of the Proverbs, which is a, a book in the Old Testament of the Bible, book of wisdom. And he wrote this book called Ecclesiastes. It has 12 chapters. It's a story of a God-fearing man who walks away from God to seek other methods, to seek other meals at, the dinner, at other dinner tables, to see, to try his own way, to find another way to satisfy himself because he lost sight of how God satisfies. In fact, he, he tried every meal at Papados. 
He did try every meal and every cheesecake at the Cheesecake Factory. And he even went to Hell's Kitchen. Tried all the meals there. In chapter 1, he just tries to go after great education. Maybe what will satisfy me is great education. I just need a master's degree. And so in chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes 1.18 says, for, much, for with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. He's like, I actually lost my innocence and I became grieved over what the world has made to be true. Ecclesiastes, at the end of this study, Ecclesiastes 12, 12 goes to this, or making many books, of making many books, there is no end. And much study wearies the body. And those who are graduated said amen to that. I'm over it. Thanks for the, spring, the summer break. I'm not looking forward to college already. And maybe it's, but maybe, the, maybe it's a great career. Maybe it's a nice car and high achievements and goals. Maybe, maybe that will bring me deep satisfactions are the ponderings of Solomon. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and 10 says this, I denied, my, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. He saw, so he thought, Maybe a, a good career is not enough, no. Maybe I just need to work harder. Maybe I, maybe I need to become the CEO of some corporation, or maybe I need to, to be one of those guys who doesn't just pay the bills uh, and, may, and have a good job. Maybe I need to be the master of my universe. I need to own the company. That's what I need to do. And then he started talking about how he hates Mondays. Because he has to now fulfill the very thing that he started with his own hands. Anybody hate Mondays? It's coming. Now i got to do the thing that I started, I created, and I don't know when the end to this cycle is. Goodness. But somebody's got a few, more, a few less Mondays, right? <laughs> so when retirement comes, you start, oh, good Lord, Mondays. But Ecclesiastes 2, 17, 18 says, So I hated life because the work that had been, had, was done, is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it's meaningless, the chasing after the wind. Anybody hearing me today? I got to just keep doing this cycle. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to someone who comes after me. I'm just going to die anyway. And then somebody else is going to enjoy it. And he goes, maybe, maybe it's focusing on more investing and let my money make more money, not only for the sake of making money, but so that I can spend and have more things. I can have nicer cars. I can have a nicer house. I can have the best lake house. I can have a really big boat. I can have nicer clothes. I can really be impressive. Maybe, maybe this is the way. He says, maybe I need to start buying, going to art shows. And I can buy some art and I can hang it on my walls and I can look at it. <laughs> That'll satisfy me. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 5, 10, and 11 says, whoever loves money... You never have enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? It's a great Picasso. Now you've got to insure it. You may have to paint it. And you probably have to put a camera on that thing. Like it's a, a never ending cycle he says 
what good, what good does it become? It just begins to own me, and all I can do is just look at it. So now he, he has a bunch of servants, and, and all his needs are being met by everyone, and everybody's laughing at his jokes all of a sudden, right? You know how it is? He wasn't alone, though, but he was lonely in the world that he had created. Let me show you. Ecclesiastes 4 and 8 says, There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. There was literally no one around him he could trust. Then after chapter 5, he starts getting into lots of women and partying. Maybe that's what will bring me great happiness and satisfaction. And it's recorded in 1 Kings 11.3. It says he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. Good Lord. And one pastor preached a message and he was talking about a college professor. Uh, there was a student in the seminary and the, and the seminary student asked a very challenging question. He says, Professor, why did Solomon marry 700 wives? And the professor answered, he says, well, hoping that one day at least one of them would wake up happy. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Y'all were getting a little too intense, like all these days and these lifestyles were starting to get you. Some of you are still a little too intense. Uh, but let's skip, let's skip to the end of the chapter, though, and let, let's skip to the end of your own life and how this, this is actually going to play out. If those are your methods in, of satisfaction and fulfillment, and, and let's just be honest, for all of us, they can be when our perspective is in the wrong place. There's always an end to the search for something that's satisfy, that satisfies. That is, this is what is missed when we don't read all of Ecclesiastes as a whole. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. It says, listen, I've tried it all. The last and final word is this. Fear God. Do what he tells you. And that's it. You want satisfaction? This is what it looks like. I'm going to explain fear God in just a minute. It's not like you, you think. Be in fear. Be afraid of him. It's not what he means. Eventually, God will bring everything that we do out into the open and judge it according to its hidden intent, whether it's good or evil. One day, we're going to be sitting at a table, the heart and, and the heart's intention of everything that we do from this day forward or this day backwards is going to be discussed. He's going to wonder, what was your intent when you did this? Other than marrying 700 wives and having three, 300 concubines, everything else will be set aside and saying, when you started this, when you bought this, when you decided this, it's not that you shouldn't have. It's what was the intent when you made that decision. You see the perspective shift? I hope you do, because you need to, because God's got some great things for us when our perspective changes. And fear God, he's in Proverbs twenty-eight fourteen. he says, Happy is the man who is always reverent. So notice this word happy again, and remember it's blessed is he, always reverent. Reverent means in this fearing God, just come to him with honor. Like, I, I, I don't want to get too far away from you because it feels really weird. I want to be completely surrendered to you. My heart is keeping my, my connection with your heart 
And my reverence for your will in my life, my intentions on my decisions and the directions which I make are always going to be placed and kept in a reverent place so that you can guide and bless those decisions that are being made. Because those decisions are coming from the throne room. And it changes my intentions on how and why I make certain decisions. But he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. This is the one who tries their own way. This is the one that says, you know what? I'm mad at God. I don't like this, so I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go this way. In those 12 chapters that, that Solomon chose to do and walking away from God, and then at the very end, finding, you know what? I just need to stay reverent to God. I'm a lot happier when I, I'm satisfied. I'm fulfilled when I just stay reverent to the presence of God. And Jesus further clarifies this when he quoted Satan back in, when he was being tempted. He quoted as Satan was tempting him, rather, when he was being tempted in the, in the, in the desert, in the wilderness. And he's quoting Deuteronomy, and, and there's a time where he says, fear God alone. And in Deuteronomy, it says, fear God alone. But Jesus turns it and he says, worship God alone. So he gives us new context on what fear is. It's actually just worship. Come to him, bow down. Come to him with a reverent heart. Come to him yielded, not with a proud and a hearty, and a, I mean a haughty heart. And today, we can make a self-examination and our, shift our heart's intense, intent on why we make the decisions we make and for what purpose we make the decisions that we make. Well, we can wait till that one day. We'll sit at the table, and we'll decide, try to figure out how we can work our way out of the situation and dealing with our heart intentions, heart's intentions from the past and from everything forward this day, from this day. But it's going to come, and we're gonna have, all going to have to sit at the same table, all going to have to have the same conversation. Uh-oh. And it's wonderful to be a good steward, allow God to bless, pursue great things, and enjoy the benefits of the favor, of God's favor. But God is concerned about in whom or what or whom are you trying to find rest and satisfaction? That's his concern. What is the, the splitting hair decision? And I don't know if you've ever re- read it, but a guy gave it to me about 10 years ago. And it's, it's St. Augustine's Confessions. And it, he was a pope... I can't remember, I think the 16th century, but it's a book about this big, but it's about as deep as this, this, this ceiling is to the floor. And it, it literally takes you months to read because you're trying to digest, this mic's a little hot, you're trying to digest what it is that he's saying packed in these statements, in these paragraphs, in these phrases. And, and he says this, he says, Thou hast formed us for thyself, and our hearts are restless till they find rest in thee. And this, this is the ultimate, this is, this is the, the statement. I'm trying everything else, but I only found rest in you. So my appeal is to those who are working tirelessly, tirelessly to obtain things in, that life has to offer, but the reasons have strayed away from the purposes of God. Listen to me there. And what if instead in those pursuits we shifted our why to envelop an understanding whose foundation is hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Proverbs 21, 21 says, whoever pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity, and honor. That's some pretty good promises right there. You know why pastors get so frustrated sometimes? It's almost like they're angry at people. It's because... We see where people are at. I mean, I'm telling you, I've had this conversation with pastor, uh, pastors before, and, and I'm going to tell them, it's because 
we're so, we can see what God has for them, and they can't yet see it. And you can see that it's right there in God's hand being held out for them. And they look at it. They don't understand it because they've never experienced it. And they just say, nah, I'm satisfied with what I've got. And it almost infuriates. It, it, it's almost a hurtful, like, I can't believe it. We can see it right there for you. But you just can't see it yet. You can't see it until you take a bite of it. You start to go after it. You start to embrace it. And it's especially true, especially, especially true in the place God is most available, and that's the church. So if you grew up in church and, and, a, and a scripture is mentioned, maybe I've mentioned a scripture, all of a sudden you tend to just turn off because you're thinking, well, I understand what that scripture says. I already know there's nothing you can tell me that I, that I don't already know. And what happens is you're already pre-programmed to re- not receive the very meal that has been prepared for you this day by the Lord being presented at this place. I've been there. I thought I had it all. Realized I didn't. And what happens when we do that, someone has puts a meal in a place, in a plate, and we are unwilling to receive it. We've already created scenarios. So I'm gonna give you two things that that keep your appetite from running to God, and then I'm gonna give you two ways you can pursue righteousness and get more more of God. Number one is we fill up on the wrong things. You already ate. There's a better meal that's been brought before you. I'm already taking of of other things. I'm full, I'm, I'm distracted, I'm tired. And when I come to church, again, it's just checking off a box. I don't have an appetite for what's being delivered at church. It's like heading over to mama's house, and you know mama makes a good meal, but it's late. You don't know if mama's still up or if that meal's still there, if other people have already eaten it, so you stop at the wiener schnitzel. You get that hot dog and fake chili. Anybody ever been there? Sounds so good. The picture's great, but then you get it, and you're like, ugh. And then you get home, and you're thinking, man, I wish I would have waited because mama stayed up waiting, making your favorite meal, and it's hot, but you don't have an appetite for it because you're all full on wiener schnitzel. <laughs> That's what it's like. I've been filling up with everything else, my own intentions, and I come to church, and I'm just doing it because I know I should. You aren't hungry anymore. You're thinking about the, life, the things in life that you've been filling up on trying to find satisfaction in all these places and maybe tripling up, quadrupling up, thinking, if I can just get more in me. And God's saying, I got a meal for you that will satisfy and leave you fulfilled forever. Sin tastes good, but it never, it never satisfies. Hebrews eleven twenty five. 25, Moses says, Moses chose to be, sorry, Hebrews says, Moses chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And I need you to lean in, lean in right here. Isaiah 55, 1 and 2 says, The Lord says, All you who are thirsty, come and drink. Those who, of you who don't, do not have money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend your money on something that is not real food? Why work for something that doesn't really satisfy you? There it is right there. Listen closely to me, he says, and you will eat what is good, and your soul will enjoy the rich food that satisfies. I was like, I got a dinner for you. The master's prepared a meal. I want to offer up a suggestion. Maybe it's time for a different meal than you've been settling for. But maybe you can see what God is offering you up 
And you don't want to receive it because you don't understand what's on the other side of it. You're already accepting that what you have is enough. And the reason is, you just don't know how good it really is. You've never experienced the goodness of God. Here's the next reason why we don't receive all God has for us. And that's why so many of you leave here and you say, wow, wasn't worship so amazing? And others like, yeah, it was all right. Hmm. I got so many are like, I got baptized when I was a kid, but I didn't really, I re- didn't really mean much. I didn't feel anything. Oh, no, no, no. It's a deep spiritual experience that changes your life. Yeah, I don't really want people to know what's going on in my life, so I don't even get involved in a small group. I don't get involved in a, a Thrive Tribe. Yeah, well, your way of doing life is never going to solve your biggest problems. Your methods. Here's one. I just don't feel like I'm growing. And you never will until you start to lead something. There's a part of growth that you'll never experience by just watching everybody else serve. Psalms 34 and 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is he who takes refuge in him. It means his way. Doing this his way or his shadows. I'm going to take it in him. And some of you are rejecting meals from God because of the way someone else served it up in the past. Oh, you're literally, you're literally staying dissatisfied, blaming God for it because someone else didn't know how to prepare that meal. Or maybe they didn't serve it the way you wanted it, or they served it in such a way, and you felt like you were forced to eat it, and so now you just reject it when it comes back around. They mistreated you and left you feeling abused, and so now you won't even consider that meal again, even though you see others eating from that same meal and loving it. I was in daycare. My parents worked very hard when I was a child, and so we were in daycare. I was in daycare uh, every day, and there was a lady, Mary Tucker, who was the, the lady that owned the daycare in her house. And there was a times, I don't know how often it was, it was punishment continually for me because they would, she would make this English pea salad. Mm. I'd had enough. Maybe I was four, maybe I was five, I don't know. I, was, I had enough, and I wasn't going to eat it, and I still haven't eaten it. I said she made me sit there through through rest time, through play time. I sat at that table till it was time for my mom to pick me up. I didn't eat it. The meal wasn't good to me. I didn't like it. Nope. Have you ever sat with someone and listened to their version of church and you're sitting there thinking, well, I wouldn't want that either? Or you sit there and talk to somebody about what they know about Christ and they're explaining this weird version. You're like, well, I wouldn't want that either. Yeah. Some of you have had an old experience or watched your parents have an experience and you're rejecting the satisfying meal that God has to offer for your life. Ephesians 3, 18 and 19 says, I pray that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all full the fullness of God. Isn't that beautiful? Man, that's what I want. Give me that meal, right? And that's the meal that's being set before you. 
but you may have already overeaten somewhere else. And I assure you that there is nothing more frustrating for me and my fellow pastors than to look, to, and God's, to look at God's people, to see God's people, and look at that life-changing meal, and then for them to ponder at it, look at it, not understand it, and say, nah, I'm good. And I want to challenge you, again, as we do here, to go all in, to let God truly make things, all things, new in your own life. To give us one year, take this spiritual journey, one year right here with us, and just take on the next steps. Meaning, if we go to church, go to church. If we fast, fast. If we have a prayer meeting, come to the prayer meeting. If, it, if we serve, serve. If we tithe, tithe. If we, whatever it is that we do, I'm going on that journey. I'm taking that next step. If, it, if it's tribe season, small group season, get in a small group and see it all the way through. For a year. You go on that journey, and I promise you, you will not leave this church dissatisfied. In fact, you'll, you'll wish that your eyes would have been open to that meal and the revelation that comes along with it a long time ago. In fact, after one year, hear me, after one year, if you take that meal and every next step and you do what it is that we do, that it's laid out, the spiritual journey that's laid out before you, and at the end of the year, you're like, this day, next year, I can't, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not satisfied, I will leave this church with you. We together will go find a better one that actually can provide the meal that God has to offer. You can't beat that. But let me, let me give you another challenge. Don't leave this church and dishonor the things that God is doing in this house until you stayed one year on that spiritual journey, taking those next steps and committing to the very thing that God has placed in this place as a meal to change your life. Yeah, hallelujah. So let's discuss righteousness real quick. It's right standing with God. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. I just want to be in right standing with God. Romans 1.17 says, The good news shows how God makes people right with himself. Romans 3.25, we are, we are made right with God when we believe that Jesus shed his blood, sacrificing his life for us. And today is the chance that you get to make your life right with God or if you've you've taken your own path you Solomon did it up time to get back into realignment today Romans 5 9 through 11 says and since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ he will certainly save us from God's condemnation for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies we will certainly be saved through the life of his son so now we can rejoice in our world, wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. And let me just tell you, uh, being right with God is not just joining a church. It's having an intimate relationship, ongoing relationship with God and yet being a part of this church. Can't separate the two. Doesn't work. Relationship involves time together. It's a back and forth open engagement. It's speaking and listening to one another. I grew up understanding a messed up version, culturally a messed up version. I grew up in church, and, and, and the church version was really just fire. The, 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 the culture was fire insurance. But one day I read that not everybody who calls me Lord is Jesus will go to heaven. 
Uh-oh. It must messed up my fire religion. I had to make a decision. I couldn't rely on the idea of, of insurance anymore. Because let me just tell you, this fire insurance faith is just religion. So when people say I'm religious, you're right. Because you got the fire insurance. When you say you're saved and you've given your life to Christ, oh, you're, you, know, you understand relationship. You're on a spiritual journey with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Whatever he says, I'm reverent to what his desires are. Not my way. We are made right with God by coming into relationship with God. So if you want to pursue righteousness, I'm putting it on a plate right now. It's good. Righteousness is right living on earth. Some of you may be thinking, yeah, I've made that step, but I still feel unsatisfied. I've, I've said the Jesus thing. And that's because you've chose to continue to live life your own way. Yeah, I came up to, for prayer and I received Jesus, but I never allowed God, by way of the Holy Spirit, to do an inner work in me to change me. I continued to do it my own way. Solomon it up. Tried, I tried, I try. In fact, I'm still trying three things. Remember the word syncretism that I gave you? There's an epidemic of young people living this idea they call my truth. Well, I'm just, that's my truth. Anybody heard it yet? That's my truth. Bunch of broken up scripts to try to create a truth that fits them, that suits them, that makes them pleased. Let me tell you, it's causing emotional trauma. It's causing emotional health issues to rise. My truth, here's what I want to believe. I'm sorry. Jesus is not concerned about what you want to believe. So I hear them, and I listen to them, and I try to give them a chance to eat at the plate, eat the meal of Jesus. And when they don't, they still resist. I just tell them, hey, I'm going to leave the light on for you, because whenever it doesn't work for you, let's talk about it. I'm not going to judge them. I'm not going to make them feel shamed. I'm not going to guilt them. Say, hey, I'm just telling you because I used to eat from that plate too. And I know where it goes. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end, leads to death. Not, 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 hopefully not a physical death. But what it's talking about is emotional death. A spiritual death to your dreams. The things that God has implanted and created you for can't exist. Lastly, we have, we have right living on earth by pursuing the lifestyle that God intends. While so many are leaving the truth of the gospel and even church leaders are conforming God's indisputable principles to be inclusive, we're not. We're not here. And in a few weeks, we're gonna talk about blessed are those who are persecuted because let me tell you, it's coming. You can hide your little head in the sand for a long time, as long as you want, but it's coming. And if you don't take this forward-moving heartbeat of saying, you know what, I gotta be responsible for me and mine and the family and the church that I'm a part of and the, and the church, a big seed church globally, equally the same, and, and getting not only coming into the walls, but getting outside the walls to reach people that are far from God. If I don't take that on, let me tell you, it's gonna hurt when it comes to your house. 
So we're pulling up to the Lord's table and pursuing righteousness, which he offers. And in that righteousness, Proverbs 12 says, in the way of righteousness, there is life. And along that path is immortality. Life is the meal that fully satisfies. I'm gonna give you a little story. Jesus was with his disciples and they left him to go prepare some things and Jesus goes out to this well and he's meeting this lady at this well and he sits down with her and it shocks her because right here, see, Jews weren't supposed to talk to Samaritans, one, and men weren't supposed to talk to women. So right here, he breaks down. He shows the world an all thing new, a better option than what we've settled for, how to break cultural barriers and gender barriers. Oh man, if we could just create some doctrine out of this one moment. And he sits down with this lady and he's talking with her and, and, and he's asking her about if he will, she will give him a drink of water and she's confused because he shouldn't be talking with her and, and, he, and he changes the subject. He goes, hey, tell me about your five husbands. She says, I, I don't have. She, he goes, I know, and the one you're living with, he's not your husband either. He didn't shame her, didn't guilt her. But he goes, you tried, you tried, you tried, you tried, and she tried. Then he says, if you had asked me, I could give you a drink of something and you'll never thirst again. Today, Jesus is offering a meal and a drink that says, hey, if you come to this table, I can give you something that will leave you forever satisfied, not just in this life, but in the life to come, true life. And I will please that thirst, but you have to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness, and you will be filled. Can I pray for you? However you receive prayer, I just want to just want to ask the question. Is there anybody in here that says, you know what? I want to change my perspective. Would you raise your hand? Believe me, I've been, I, if I'm not on it, my perspective gets off. It's unsatisfying. It's unfulfilling. The why I do what I do sometimes, I got to check myself. If you're here today and you've never get, met this Jesus or you want to realign yourself with this Jesus, I want to encourage you at the end of service, you can come down. There will be a prayer team ready to receive you. Following, we're going to have baptism. For Lutherans, you can go through the sprinkler back there outside in the front. We'll throw you down the... Father, we just thank you so much for fulfillment. Thank you that you offer us a seat at your table but you offer us the most fulfilling meal and the most fulfilling drink. Father, I pray right, day, right now today that some people actually pull up, receive that, and make this beautiful exchange for what they've chose, they've tried, they've solomoned it up for in exchange for what you're doing. And we just pray for a, a grace and a favor for the inner working of the Holy Spirit to start even right now. And we pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Can I get a good amen? Let's stand up, guys, and let's worship. Let's give Jesus a, a hand clap.